Well, this is our uh, last in a series of what we've, we've called the one anothering series. Now, every other passage that we've looked at has included the words one another, love one another, serve one another, uh, show hospitality to one another. And uh, this one actually doesn't have that specific language. And yet I think it gets at this idea of a call to be united to one another, to be united, to be unified with one another. We see it very clearly uh, in the verses here in Philippians 1 uh, and 2. And so that's the, the focus of this passage. And part of the reason that we've done this whole series is a recognition that in this particular time, where we're experiencing incredible division and incredible polarization, that there's a call in particular for the, for the church to be connected to one another. And we have talked about really every week the fact that it also does affect the way that we relate to people outside of the church as well, but that there is, is a call to be connected to one another, to be united to one another. There was a sense in which the first uh, sermon was love one another, and that was overarching. And there's a sense in which maybe in this particular time, this idea of being united is also an, an overarching theme of the way that we are called to relate to one another. Again, in this time of incredible division and polarization. And, and some have come to talk about this negative polarization, which is the fact that so often we're finding ourselves as a part of a group or part of connections that are just opposed to other people or groups or policies or thoughts. Uh, And so we define ourselves by who we disagree with, by who we are against, because of all of the evil things that they're going to do, whether it be to the country or the church or the world uh, or in the midst of uh, the the pandemic or all of these things, right, that we're defining ourselves so often by what we're against. And so the call hope here in Philippians 1 and 2 is to to be for something in very something very specific which is the gospel the good news we talk about the gospel regularly we're going to talk about it uh, this morning as we share with one another being united with one another Uh, and I I think the reality that we so often that I lose regularly I mean I, I, I preach almost every week right and I, I lose sometimes the, the power of the gospel to bring uh, hope to the, even the idea of unity, right? And, and yet I believe that it is right there for us to experience. And I'm not saying that what I'm about to preach, we're all going to walk away and all the answers uh, are going to be given for how we are, are unified. But uh, I do think there is real power in hope here. Um, I don't know how many of you guys watch uh, Antiques Roadshow. Um, it, it is uh, sometimes uh, relatively mundane, but there's sometimes some really exciting uh, sections. And if you're not familiar with Antique Roadshow, they, they travel, it's a PBS show, they travel around, they show up in a town, and people bring uh, objects to have them uh, uh, assessed, to be given a value. Um, and uh, they might be things that they found at a yard sale, or things that they found in an attic, or uh, passed down from, from generations, and sometimes people are disappointed. And sometimes people are thrilled. And one of the really exciting ones uh, was, you can find this clip on uh, the YouTube. It is uh, a, a guy named, an, an older gentleman, his name is Frank, and he has this blanket. And so it, it starts off with uh, uh, Frank standing there next to this blanket hang, hanging on, just uh, hanging on a, looks like a big standalone chalkboard. And the, 
the guy who is assessing it is standing there, and they're ta- they begin to talk about this blanket. Uh, and he asks him where he got it, and uh, the story that he had been told was that Kit Carson gave it to the foster dad of his grandmother. And so uh, it, it's, it's probably pretty old. If that's true at all, then it's probably pretty old because uh, he's clearly getting up there in years. And they begin to talk about this is a, a Navajo blanket, one of the first uh, of Navajo art. And it was just a very simple wool blanket, off-white with some black stripes uh, and a few indigo blue stripes uh, on it uh, as well. And... Uh, it's a uh, for it was made for chiefs and they're very they understand what it is and uh, he says are, are, Frank are you a rich man uh, and he says no not at all we never have been and uh, he said this uh, I, I don't know if you noticed at the beginning but I I, I couldn't breathe for a second did you notice that and Frank was like yeah, I did I did notice that he said this this is a national treasure and and on a good on, on a uh, sorry on a bad day at auction. It would sell for $350,000, and on a good day, it would sell for over uh, half a million, and even more if the Kit Carson connection could be confirmed, right? And so uh, ends up, you, you learn this guy, uh, he, he, he did end up selling the blanket and paying off his house and uh, being in a pretty good spot, and he's just like in that moment, though, dumbfounded. He's like, this, this blanket, it was, it was like at the foot of my bed as a child, and then uh, over the last number of years, it's just been hanging on the back of my chair. Uh, you know, where he could spill a drink on it, or his meal, or you know, any, any number of things could happen to it. Uh, he had it there with him all the time, and it turns out it was this national treasure now in a museum in Detroit, uh, and he just had it hanging on his chair. And, and I think this is often the way, if, particularly for those of us who have grown up in the church, we kind of just have the gospel and Jesus just kind of, you know, a little bit over to the side. We don't realize what a treasure we have. And I, I hope, I hope actually each Sunday we're struck with what is offered to us in the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's certainly true in this call to to unity. Um, and in all of the mess and all of the thinking about the, the ways in which we're divided, uh, to think about this, this power of the gospel for us. We're going to see three things. We're going to see the, that we are to share gospel purpose, we're to share uh, gospel humility, and we're to share gospel hope. Um, let me pray for us. Lord, we do pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are to share gospel purpose. Um, there, there is, uh, in, in our culture, a, des- a desire for, uh, for diversity, to see it uh, infiltrate um, uh, our institutions and our relationships, our, our everyday lives, our, our neighborhoods, uh, and, and that can be diversity uh, on any number of levels. Uh, certainly there's a lot of conversation uh, about race and gender and finding uh, diversity there. And I think one of the things that uh, we find in scripture is an absolute affirmation that we should be able to find unity with those with whom we, we differ. Uh, and that we as the church should be speaking particularly in the, the tension of uh, racial uh, differences and racial tension that exists in our country. We should be standing and hoping and striving for, uh, for unity. 
But sometimes the culture says that just the, the end goal is diversity. The end goal is uh, to find people who are different gather together. On, on, and that could be on any number of belief systems or way that we live or any of those things. That uh, The end goal is diversity. And uh, I think that, that, that is lacking something, just gathering around diversity. Not only does it just lack something as an end goal itself, but the, the scripture gives us uh, uh, something to actually gather around. That we find here uh, that the gospel, as we talk about the gospel, this is this thing that we talk about uh, every week. It's central to, to who we are as followers of Jesus, that, that we are broken. That we have rebelled against our God, every single one of us, both as individuals and as people, that we have turned away from him and that we have a broken relationship uh, with our creator. And uh, the gospel tells us that, uh, that Jesus wanted to fix that brokenness, that broken relationship. And so uh, he began to work redemption all throughout scripture, but most significantly, uh, we know now through Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, he came into this world, into all of the mess, and he died for us. And we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper in a moment, and that's what we celebrate each week, that his body was broken, that his blood was poured out for us. And so uh, this is uh, the good news of the gospel, that through that life and suffering and death and resurrection, that he, uh, that he reconciled us to him. And that he then calls us into relationship with one another. So when Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So what does he say here? He says, uh, I, I want to hear uh, about your, your life, that it would be uh, affected by the gospel. Now, the gospel is something that Jesus does for us. Uh, it's a work that he does, but then it affects our lives. So that he would, he would say to us, uh, Paul, as Paul is saying, that you know, I, I, I want to hear of how it's affecting your life. And, and what, is, what is he going to hear? He's going to hear whether he comes to them or not. So he's going to hear it from being with them or hearing about them, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That they're joined together as the, the people of God, striving together for the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And that that is the, the central thing. There's this shared purpose that, that draws us together. This idea of one spirit, one mind, striving side by side in verse 27. In chapter 2, verse 2, it's the same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. And we recognize that that is uh, not... Uh, happening. There's some sense in which we're, we're missing that mark. And, uh, and I, I pray that as we continue to strive uh, and try to figure out what this looks like, that we are striving together for unity in the gospel. Um, and I will, will say I don't uh, always have the right answers, the good, the good answers. So this is the solution. And yet there is this call that this is something that we should be striving together, something that we should be talking about and gathering around together. But it is all centered upon uh, the gospel, not on comfort or happiness, uh, not uh, just strictly uh, commonality, but around the gospel, that it's the driving force. So oftentimes we have goals in life and they, they might be uh, the 
the desires of our culture. They might do our own desires to be successful, to have comfort, to have happiness. Uh, They come in all kinds of ways. We have these goals in life. And oftentimes we'll tack Jesus onto that. So Jesus is, is a means to an end, to get to something else. And, uh, and what we find here with Paul and we find with Jesus himself and we find all through Scripture is that the end goal is Jesus. He's not just something tacked on to our lives. And then we, we see maybe we get that. Maybe we get that uh, Jesus is the goal. Maybe he is our number one priority. Uh, but it's, it's a focus on Jesus and me. And then we tack the church onto that. We tack the body of Christ Onto that, that the body of Christ, the church, is just uh, a means to get to, to Jesus, something that helps me with my relationship with Jesus. But as we've talked about over these weeks, is we don't experience Jesus w- without experiencing his body. And his body is described again and again as the church. We don't get Jesus without Jesus' body. That we, we need one another uh, deeply. Um, and, and, and that speaks to we need those who are different from us. We need uh, to learn from, and there's a sense in which we learn from those who are different from us in a particular congregation, but we learn from those who are different from us in in other congregations. We can think about these things on uh, a small scale, and we should. How do we relate to the people sitting in this room or in our community group? And that's a, a, a... a question that we should be constantly asking, but we should also be asking, what does it look like for us to be connected to uh, the church more broadly? Whether that's in Indianapolis and other, uh, other churches in our denomination or churches in other denominations or in the neighborhood or globally, what does it look like for us uh, to be uh, connected, to be unified? And, and one of the reasons that we use the Apostles' Creed uh, every week is because it's this reminder. Here's the thing uh, that we're centered upon. And this is a thing that all churches, uh, not all churches, but churches throughout history and around the world that use this confession. But, but all churches believe these things. These are central core things about the gospel, the story of Jesus uh, in our lives. And so pursuing him and not these other things is the call that we have. And, and the reminder that if it's Jesus and it's not the happiness, which is most often the goal put before us by our culture, that we, we struggle then with verse 29. For it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's been granted to you not only to believe, to experience salvation, to be given the gospel, but, but to suffer for his sake. So if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I, I want you to hear an invitation to believe and trust in Jesus. And I also want to give you a, a true and real invitation that doesn't necessarily fit really well with a, a evangelistic message or a come to Jesus message that, that you also will suffer for the sake of Jesus. That it's not just a, you want a happy life, you want a good life. Uh, here, Jesus is the answer. Jesus will get you there. Uh, no, the, the, the purpose that we share is Jesus himself. And that comes with, uh, with the suffering. But it doesn't come just with suffering. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So to be clear, 
Paul is invited. He, he said, this is true. This is what you're going to experience. There's going to be suffering. But he also says there's going to be comfort and affection and joy and love. And that those, those things commingle. Those things are often happening at the same time. But when we experience Jesus, we, we do experience all of it. So there's this call then to be on purpose together. And when we're on that purpose together, it will affect other things. It will affect the way that we engage our jobs and our relationships and what unity looks like in that whole conversation. It absolutely will affect those things. And if we don't allow it to affect those things, then we are missing the purpose to which we're headed. But when we're headed for that same purpose, it actually draws us together when we're gathered around that. For a number of years, a lot of churches uh, used the, the term band of brothers for a lot of men's ministries, right? And, and, and some of that came from the miniseries uh, Band of Brothers uh, that was based on a, the true story of Easy Company in World War II, these paratroopers who, had, uh, who dropped behind enemy lines and were uh, a significant part of, of World War II. And there were people in that group, an Easy Company, that were very different and not really connected. And as they strove toward a singular purpose of both staying alive, well, I guess maybe that's not singular if I'm going to say both staying alive and winning a war, um, it drew them together in relationship. They had a purpose that they were headed for, and it drew them together. Now, most of us in this room haven't and won't experience that kind of, uh, of, of purpose together. And maybe we've experienced it on some uh, bit lesser level in, in sports, uh, striving together for the same goal on a team. Have you been a part of a team that's really striving together? I think the, the, the reality uh, that a lot of sports teams find more unity uh, across races, uh, this is just a, a phenomenon that uh, I've seen and heard about that often because they're striving together for something, they have a, a purpose together, that it draws people together who are, are different. And, and that is a little bit of, uh, of an indictment if it happens better on sports teams than it does in the church as we strive together for the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The call for us then is to, whatever the differences might be, and they might be uh, across uh, race, but they might come in all kinds of different ways, that we would be working to learn together to grow together, to share the gospel together, to work for the gospel together. That would be the purpose. That would be the thing that we would be striving for, the gospel of Jesus Christ, striving together for Jesus himself. And that we would, as a result, we would share in gospel humility. That's the second point. Gospel purpose, gospel humility. Gospel humility to, to, to admit that we don't have all the answers, to admit that there are places where we're going to fail, to look around and, and to think about, uh, to think about, even if it's talking about race, to, to recognize that there are ways that uh, I've messed up in my own life, that I've been prejudiced in my own life, to think about uh, that I don't know sometimes the, how to take the next step in uh, engaging these conversations well, to have the humility for us to say, uh, we don't always know what this looks like and we're going to make mistakes uh, along the way. But this is true in all of our pursuits of, of gospel purpose that we are going to, to mess up. And, uh, and that in the midst of messing up, we have to be humble. We have to be humble with one another. We'll never see unity 
in whatever way that we're, we might be looking for it across whatever differences that we have, we're not going to find it if we don't have humility. It's central to being in relationship with one another and being united because we're going to fail each other. We're going to misunderstand other people's positions. One of the things that's happening right now is that people are, are disagreeing, uh, whether it be uh, politically or about uh, vaccines or uh, whether it be about race, all these things. We're, we're, we're disagreeing about really significant things, things that really matter. Things that we should be saying, what does the gospel say about my uh, involvement in this conversation or in this dynamic, right? And, uh, and one of the things that we have to recognize in the midst of that uh, is that as we disagree over significant things, that we, we need a humility with one another. Uh, a humility to, to, to say, I, I'm wrong, and I've been wrong here. Or a uh, humility to, to repent of it. Or uh, humility to say something, I don't know. I don't, I don't have uh, an answer here. Um, we cannot respond out of fear of losing anything. Fear of losing comfort or power or position uh, or respect. That We're called into this place of, of being humble with one another. And this flows from the gospel. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Belief in him has been granted to you. This is the message of the gospel. It's something that he has done and not you and not me. So that there can't be pride. There can only be humility. It's been granted to us. That, that should just, in, it, on its face, give us an incredible humility before uh, one another. Before those uh, with whom we have differences. That we would be humble with them, willing to, to think about places where we're wrong and admit where we are. And, and again, we have to think about this with one another. We have to think about it on a, on a larger scale. Uh, uh, we have to think about that across uh, with, with other churches and, and things, again, that matter, but we, that we would approach with humility. I mean, this is just like maybe the secret ingredient and really not that big of a secret, but to any relationship, if, you, if any of you have been, uh, heard a message that I've given at a wedding ceremony, it's always about for this thing to work, you have to be willing to be humble, to repent, and to ask for forgiveness, and to grant forgiveness, to do all of those things, right? Uh, that's necessary in a, a marriage. And it's necessary in every healthy relationship. In any relationship, this kind of humility is necessary. But we often find ourselves just fighting for position, fighting uh, to, to be better than others. And sometimes that comes out of just the, the world in which we live, which um, on some levels is a meritocracy and some levels very much not. Uh, but in those places where it is, we're, we're often fighting to establish ourselves above others. It could be to, you know, have better grades than the next person. It could be to get the better position or the better job over and above someone else. We're often fighting for position over and above other people. And so this gospel message of having humility, of enacting verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is radical that, that we would potentially 
do this. Nothing of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but considering others better than yourselves, more significant than yourselves. We, we don't do that. But if we were to do that, if we were to apply the gospel in this way, we would be able to move in gospel purpose uh, with unity. We would be able to be unified. And so we're called to be willing to serve other people. We're willing to be wrong, to apologize, to, to be empathetic, to think about what it might be like uh, in for someone else to have a different experience, to put ourselves in someone else's uh, shoes. And uh, I, I think about, um, I mean, just a kind of silly way that I experience it is um, I, I get pretty upset as somebody who's moved to uh, Indianapolis and biked a lot more and walked a lot more. When somebody is parked in the middle of the crosswalk, it drives me crazy, right? Uh, and um, I'm like, that's where I'm supposed to walk. Right. There's a there's a, a, a short video that I've seen on the interwebs that um, is behind another car and the person is in the middle of the uh, crosswalk and a guy is walking across the crosswalk. He opens the door of the back seat. He gets in and you see him get out the other side and just keep going. Right. Uh, it, I, 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 it's hilarious. And I think uh, I'll, I'll never do that. <laughs> Not a chance in the world. Right. They're going to take off while I'm in the middle. Uh, they're going to have a child lock on the other side. I'm not doing it. Uh, <laughs> But I have, I, it, it drives me crazy when I see it, but, but I've found myself, whether a car stops quickly in front of me, or uh, it, sometimes maybe it's happened when I haven't been paying attention enough, I've found myself the person in the crosswalk. And I feel ashamed, and uh, I, I wish I weren't there, uh, but I, I, I think this, this happens, even not intentionally, right? even as I'm somebody who thinks about the crosswalk, I found myself there. But when I see somebody in the crosswalk, I've got no empathy for them, even though I've been there, right? And, and there are deeper ways that we need to be walk, able to walk in, in, uh, in empathy with other folks. And, and just thinking about uh, conversations I've had over the years of recognizing the difference that uh, my African-American friends have getting pulled over by the police and hearing their stories and, uh, and learning from that. There, there are places where we need to be willing to say, oh, yeah, it's, it's not like I experience it. There, there are ways in which uh, it, that all kinds of folks that we walk through life differently. So for us to be unified, to find that unity, we have to be able to be humble with one another. We have to be willing to serve, to think of ourselves uh, with this kind of humility, counting others more significant than ourselves. And the only way that we can do this, it's not just, okay, be humble. I mean, the humility has to flow out of the gospel and ultimately the gospel hope, the last point, that that there is hope and salvation from the Lord. This purpose that we're headed for is the hope of the gospel that is offered to us. It's the hope that we see in verse 28. That you would not be frightened in anything by your opponents. And there are opponents. There are those that would stand against saying that Jesus is necessary for salvation. That he's the only way to say that uh, the gospel affects the way that we think about. Some people would be frustrated that we say that it affects the way we think about race. It affects the way that we think about relationship. It affects the way we think about uh, our, our sexual lives. It affects like everything, right? And there are people that are, are not going to like that. They're going to be opposed to that. And... Uh, and yet, in the midst of that, 
what we have is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but our salvation. And that from God, here again, is the work of God. That from God has been granted to you to believe. The gospel is one of the work that he's done for us. Not something that we deserve, not something that we're able to earn, not something that we're able to just muster up, but something that he does for us. The verses uh, following verse 4, the last verse that was read, gives us this example. So he's told us, Paul has told us to count others better than ourselves, to look not only to our own interests. And he, he says one of the ways to do this is to have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... This is Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Ultimate act of humility. Jesus's Incarnation, becoming a man, entering into this mess, into the division, into all the questions that we have and to all of the reasons that we need to humble ourselves, entering into that and all of that pain and then dying, ultimately dying for us. It's his work and that is the hope that we have, that it's his work and and not ours. We get to be a part of it. We get to join in with it. We get to pursue that hope together and therefore, in, in, in the midst of pursuing that together, find unity with one another. But it's his work. And we're invited in. I pray that I will learn more and more what it looks like to find this humility, to share in gospel humility and gospel purpose, to find gospel hope with each of you, and ultimately with the church around Indy and the country and the world. This is the hope that he gives, the power that he gives, and it is more powerful than we often think. Because often we don't really think about it that much. Because we're just tacking Jesus, we're just tacking the church on to really other goals that we have. There's a call to find hope in Jesus and make that our purpose. Let me pray.